Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Every single person who has a student debt is freed from that. It's going to add to the nation's national debt. COVID-19. China's responsible. They failed to cooperate. They failed to come clean. Fentanyl. It's a horrible epidemic, at least on purpose. This is a war. Do something. Chicago. In the end, you don't always win every battle. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. It is News and Views, and uh, the beetle got squashed. (laughs) Somebody stepped on the beetle, and there's nothing but juice left. Uh, 84% of Chicagoans voted against Mayor Lightfoot. No doubt they voted against her because she is a black woman. That's, uh, That's what we heard throughout the campaign that uh, she's getting the roll into the deal. And so in a city that's only 33% white, they voted against this woman because she's a black woman. Um, Mayor, good riddance. She actually, in the runoff, lost to uh, the the two guys that got enough votes for the runoff. Yeah, she came in third, I believe. Yeah, one was a a black man and one was a white man, I noticed. Paul Vallis is the white guy. And apparently, uh, Brad Johnson is the uh, black man. They will have a runoff on April the 4th. And uh, uh, Paul Vallis is the least worst in the group. Mm-hmm. He's somewhat pro-police. He's done some things that were not terrible when it comes to education. But, um, uh, again, this this is significant considering, again, just 30, uh, you can't really point to race on this. Just 33% of Chicago was white, and the white guy won. Uh, you know, it, it's here, here's the bottom line. People want to be safe. Um, in Chicago, uh, the reason why Beetlejuice lost, it has nothing to do with the fact that um, she's a black woman. It has everything to do that in 2021, homicides in Chicago rose to their highest number in 25 years. Worse than New York, worse than L.A. Um, she has uh, had a terrible, terrible relationship with law enforcement. She has belittled law enforcement. Uh, Lightfoot as... Um, She's been a disaster. I mean, that's, there's no other way to put it, and uh, it's it's basically been a joke. Um, Vernon Jones, a uh, the, the uh, Georgia state representative, a, a black gentleman, he lost his election in the, in the U.S. House last November. He said that um, Lori Lightfoot got the foot. Other Democrat mayors with runaway crime in your cities take notice. Even liberals are tired of being unsafe. That's the bottom line. I mean, you, you can look at a, a, a lot of different issues. You can look at economic issues. You can look at education issues. If people are scared to go out of their house for being shot or carjacked, uh, they're, they're going to vote for somebody else. Yeah, well, it should be at any go- any government level, federal, state, or local. You know, the number one underlying fundamental uh, role of government is to pro- kind of protect you. Right. <laughs> you know, so... Uh, yeah, I think uh, with what's going on in Chicago, especially the last two or three years, where their crime, I think their crime, violent crime numbers are up, you know, 25 to 40 percent, depending on what type of crimes there are. Um, you know, hey, you're at the top. You're responsible. And everything that she has said during that time period has pretty much been 
anti-police, and she can't dispute that. It was always, you know, she never supported the police. Never. And when you, you had police uh, people in the police in Chicago that were known to support Democrats in the past, you know, have been pretty um, pretty vocal about the lack of support from her office. I mean, what does she expect? I don't think you're going out on a limb to say Paul Vallis will probably win. He actually came in first. He was the white candidate. He beat Brad Johnson by 14 percentage points. Mm. So um, now I guess the question is combined votes. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he was the only white candidate. The mm. other eight candidates were black. Uh, is will the uh, the votes for the other candidates if they were voted if their votes went because of race? then uh, Brad Johnson very well might win. But uh, 14 percentage points is a pretty uh, hefty amount. We'll see. Uh, I, I wouldn't uh, place my bet one way or the other. Um, as we mentioned yesterday, Lightfoot became the first sitting mayor to run for re-election that lost in 40 years. Hmm. And I guess the good news is for her is uh, they didn't take her out in a, a jumpsuit. In an orange jumpsuit, as uh, many of the governors and mayors of uh, Chicago have. I wonder what's in her future, running some Chicago nonprofit to, you know, uh, encourage people to get out to vote in the black community or something. I mean, she'll she'll land on her feet some gig or get some gig at MSNBC or something. Who knows? I, I don't know. She's uh, been in I, I, think, I think her best shot is uh, Beetlejuice, too. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Carolina Journal is reporting an appointed March 1st letter released exclusively to Carolina Journal before delivery. North Carolina's entire Republican congressional de delegation, um, short of Dan Bishop, pushed against Bell Whelan, president of the Southern Association of Colleges and School Commission on Colleges, the body that accredits higher education institutions in North Carolina and in other southern states. Apparently, she has written a letter to the uh, trustees of UNC, UNC Chapel Hill Board of Trustees, that they had violated the Southern Association of College and School Commission of Colleges because they are proposing this UNC School for Civic Life and Leadership. The letter quotes comments Wheelan made during a February 7th presentation to the Governor's Commission on the Governance of Public Universities in North Carolina. She said, quote, UNC Chapel Hill Board is going to get a letter because of a news article that came out that said the board, without input from the administration or faculty, had decided they were going to put in this new curriculum offering. That's kind of not the way we do business, Whelan said, according to the article by Jenna Robinson of the James Martin Center for Academic Renewal. Robinson also quoted Whelan as saying she would talk to the UNC Board of Trustees to help them understand and it either uh, get them to change it or the institution will be on warning. According to the Republicans in the letter, David Bullock, chairman of the UNC Chapel Hill Board of Trustees, who we've had on this program, responded to Whelan's comments by saying, quote, we haven't received a letter from the Southern Association of Colleges, and we haven't heard anything from them about a request to the administration to uh, accreditate the development of the School of Civic Liberty and Leadership. I mean, I, I, you know, this is, I mean, this is unbelievable. This, this is all about, truly about tolerance and open public debate and mm -hmm. public speech, mm -hmm. allowing both sides of the issues to be embraced, to be put forth, 
And, and this woman, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say this woman is probably woke and way out of line. But uh, the fact that uh, she is uh, saying that they're going to get a warning. Now, what's interesting is she has, since um, this letter was sent, she's back. Well, it wasn't a warning. Uh, you know, let me let me make clear that they're getting a letter. It's not really a warning. It's just it's a, it's a letter of inquiry. So anyway, uh, Ted Budd, Tom Tillis, Virginia Fox, uh, Richard Hudson, Greg Murphy, Patrick McHenry, uh, Chuck Edwards, and David Rouser all sent this letter. Uh, they asked three questions. Did you or anyone at the uh, Southern Association of Colleges or anyone on behalf of you send uh, the above reference letter or any written communication with the UNC Chapel Hill? If so, please provide copies. Please explain in detail the basis of your stated or unstated concerns and explain with specificity your analysis, including the uh, Southern Association of Colleges standards relied upon in your analysis. Please explain in detail your unsolicited information policy and the, the required evidentiary basis for sending a letter of inquiry. Please explain what, if anything, the Southern Association of Colleges does to verify media reports before sending a letter of inquiry. Well, you know, here's another example of uh, Miss Whelan, no, no different than, uh, what's her name, Randy Weingarten, which is mm-hmm. the, the National Teachers Lobby, or whatever you want to call it. The foaming at the mouth woman. I, I mean, at the end of the day, these things should be about education, but they are clearly slanted towards, if there's any time that uh, you know, someone comes up with ideas in education that doesn't meet their political ideology, they got a problem yep. with it. Yep. I mean... At the end of the day, when we had uh, the chairman of the Board of Trustees at UNC, David Bullock, on our show, and I've seen him actually on Fox News a couple of times since. Right. I've talked to a couple of other board members since. Um, you know, he, he talked about, at the end of the day, uh, all the schools report, report to the taxpayers, because that's primarily who subsidizes our public education system, including our universities in North Carolina. So, you know... I understand the separation of powers where you don't, you don't want uh, you don't want to tell the chancellor hey you will teach this in a program but but the overall mission statement the overall goal of the education system the you know an overall um, just a, a loose set of blueprints to say hey this is what we think should be taught as far as the topics this is the curriculum that sh- should be taught but we're not going to tell you how to teach it. So, uh, and I think that's what they're doing. Um, and then well, it's just and, ridiculous. Well, and the idea that the UNC School for Civic Life and Leadership is somehow going to violate the mission of oh, yeah. UNC is, is beyond the pale. I mean, if anything, it's the first time in years they've turned towards the mission, station, uh, the mi- mission statement. Uh, look, this school is going to help embrace the mission statement, not run away from it. Well, I would ask Ms. Whelan, or I'd ask any faculty member at UNC or the chancellor or anything else, so so are you saying, okay, we'll, we'll go down the road that you want to go. So you're saying that if if there's a new school that should exist at UNC Chapel Hill, only we can rely on what you think should exist right. there. Right. That ain't the way it works, boss man. Right. <laughs> I mean, we're not going to tell you how to develop it. We're not going to tell you how to teach but I think the taxpayers and the elected representatives of the Board of Trustees should have some control of, I mean, it's like, as a faculty member at UNC, should I come up and say, you know what, I think we need a Ph.D. in gender studies or a Ph.D. in uh, basket weaving. Well, you know what, 
I think that's a stupid idea as a board of trustees member. So the faculty don't get to set that. It's just it's nonsense. Their their partisanship is just oozing out of them. But everywhere you turn in our society, the inmates are in charge of the asylum. Yeah. And that, this is another example of it. I'm, I'm sorry if you're on the faculty at UNC Chapel Hill that I said you're one of the inmates, but uh, it, it's a figure of speech, okay? Uh, as we go to break, congratulations to Chairman Michael White- Watley of the uh, North Carolina Republican Party. He's the Republican Party chair. Friend of the show. And he's been on with us many times. He has been appointed as the new general counsel for the Republican National Committee. RNC Chair Ronna McDaniel chose Watley to replace the current general counsel, Kyle Huffer, who chairs the Indiana Republican Party. I don't know if uh, Huffer got uh, got the boot or <laughs> if uh, he decided uh, the pay wasn't good enough or what, but uh, congratulations to Michael Watley. Um, he was uh, in the running to be the co-chair of the National Republican Party. That went to Drew McKissick of uh, South Carolina. But uh, congratulations, Michael. We need to have him on and talk about his new duties. Well, I don't know how all that stuff works, but um, I mean, argument can be made that Michael Watley, uh, you know, should should be looked at as, as co-chair or chair because you look at North Carolina. North Carolina used to be at best purple, yep. pretty solidly red. If you look at the last well, couple of elections, if, if you look at what we did in the last general election as compared to the Republican Party across the nation, right. there was maybe one or two other states that did better than us, but uh, not too many others. No, probably. Florida. <laughs> Stay with us. More news and views coming up. This is News and Views with Tom and Benny on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. It is News and Views for a Wednesday. Quick look at your weather forecast. Uh, tonight, a chance of rain, 60% chance of rain, a little around 62 Thursday morning, uh, a lot of rain, maybe a thunderstorm coming through around lunchtime, a high of 77. Chance of rain tomorrow is 80%. Tomorrow night, showers likely again late in the night. So it's going to clear up for a little bit, and then Thursday night, the rain's going to come back and uh, a low of 56. Friday, looking ahead to Friday, a chance of showers in the morning, and after that, uh, mostly cloudy with a high of 76. So temperature-wise, it's going to be nice. The uh, key, actually, the weekend, finally we got a good-looking weekend. Saturday has a high of 71 with lots of sunshine. A little cooler on Sunday with a high of 62, but again, plenty of sunshine. So get out and enjoy. Town Hall is reporting on a new presidential poll. Yes, don't get mad at me because I'm still talking about polls. But uh, former President Donald Trump in this poll, former South Carolina Nikki Haley and entrepreneur Vivek Raswamy, are running on the Republican ticket. No doubt there will be many more. Several reports have indicated that uh, Ron DeSantis will be in the mix, and he will probably be in second place. In a hypothetical 10-person Republican presidential primary, Trump earns 55% of the vote, according to Emerson College's latest poll released yesterday. This included DeSantis, Haley, and Pence. This number reflects his standing in the January Emerson poll as well as the June 2022 Emerson poll. Emerson's college January poll, which Town Hall covered, also showed Trump defeating Biden in a hypothetical 2024 matchup, with Trump earning 44% of the vote to Biden's 41%. Though DeSantis has not said he's running in the 24 poll, um, 
Uh, Emerson College's November poll showed Trump earning 55% to DeSantis's 25%. Uh, Emerson's poll this week also found that Biden's approval rating was at 44% and a Trump-Biden rematch. It showed Trump earning 46% to Biden's 42 so it's actually gone up since the last poll. Uh, let's see. National hypotheticals. Uh, Joe Biden, 42%. Donald Trump, 46 um, Joe Biden, 44 Ron DeSantis, 40%. I, I, I just I have a hard time believing that. That uh, according to this poll, that Ron DeSantis is more toxic than Donald Trump? <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely no way. I, I just anyway. I, again, these are these are real, real, real early polls, and as you have said, the polls we really need to look at are these early primary state polls. Yeah. And what are they going to say? Although the national polls probably do influence those early primary states. Yeah, I just. I, I mean, they they rarely mean anything, to be honest with you. I mean, they... Um, it's fun to look at, fun to talk fun about. fun to look at, yeah. but uh, until you start getting the state by state, uh, that's that's how we're going to elect them. But uh, I get, be, be, it'll be kind of interesting if the Republican field is full of people. Um, I mean, a lot of people. Like, I guess, like they were before, like the Democrats were before. I, I don't think it's going to be as bad as it was in 2016, because I think there's like 14 on the yeah. stage. It probably, but it, it, it will be a, at least one stage full. So, so, the early, so the early on in those, it would be interesting to see how people jockey for position to get, you know, noticed in the debates and things such as that. That's always kind of interesting. Um, but I, I still think it's going to come down to Trump and, and DeSantis, and depending on how many advance. You know, Glenn Youngkin was on Fox News on um, Sunday with uh, yes. Marie. Uh, yes. Um, you know, why is he on national news? Yeah, he, he's running. He just hadn't announced yet. And people like when you got people like Glenn Youngkin and Haley and. Uh, if you get, um, you know, maybe Tim Scott jumps in. And Mike Pence, Mike, Mike Pompeo. Pence, Mike Pompeo. After a while, you, you can add up to 25% of the vote pretty quick. And there's two rhinos that were mentioned. Larry Hogan of Maryland, the former Maryland governor. And who was the other rhino? I'm trying to think. Um, uh, I don't know, but he has no chance. No. <laughs> I, I don't think either rhino has. has I, I'll, it'll come to me in a second. But uh, you did a little analysis. Uh... Yeah, I've had some. I've had some people uh, give me a hard time about being all over Trump. Some of these Trumpers, with me saying that Trump uh, doesn't have a chance. The, the, fa the fact of the matter is, when you compare the 2016-2020 election, Donald Trump going against Hillary Clinton in 16, going against Joe Biden in 2020, I mean, it boils down to five states determined now. The presidential election: Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, Pennsylvania, and Georgia. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing about it is, the, these these five states will determine who's the president. Trump won them all in 2016, lost them all in 2020. You know, we've got some some data out there that makes you a little nervous now. Pennsylvania, first time in 10 years, has a general assembly that's Democrat controlled, so it makes you wonder. Well, can the Republicans yeah. win Pennsylvania? Yeah. Without Pennsylvania, without Pennsylvania, then a Republican would have to win Michigan, Georgia, and Wisconsin. Interestingly, and I mean, looking at your numbers here, and I don't disagree with them, but was the other, the other part of this that is interesting of those five states, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, Pennsylvania, and Georgia, I think all, all but Michigan had some pretty 
significant controversy. Oh yeah, of course. In their election, <laughs> I don't. I, was Michigan having issues too? I don't remember. Michigan doesn't pop to my mind. Well, the other four do. Yeah, there's always some shenanigans going on in the Detroit, Detroit. areas. But right. uh, but Michigan was. Uh, you know, Michigan Trump Trump lost Michigan. I mean, he lost Michigan by 154,000 votes in 2020. He won it by only 10,000 votes, and that and that's why you know I have I have these. These I call them Trumpers because they you know believe all things Donald Trump. You know they talk about that. Hey, Trump ran away with it in 2016. Well, no, he didn't. I mean, he won Michigan by 10,000 votes, right. Wisconsin by 22,000 votes, Arizona by 90,000 votes, Pennsylvania by 44,000 votes, and Georgia by 211,000 votes. Um, and he was running against quite possibly the most disliked candidate in either party in the history of presidential politics being Hillary Clinton. Yeah. So, I, you know, now the one thing in 16 that went on that did not go on 2020, you had a third party, a libertarian candidate, Gary Johnson, on those five states got anywhere from a little over 2% to 4% of the votes. So it begs the question, okay, would these libertarians vote for Donald Trump against Joe Biden or vote for or Joe Biden in the 2020 election, I would say, I would say the libertarians would come more voting for Donald Trump against Hillary right. Clinton. I, I would say that. But Although the second time around with with Joe Biden, Joe Biden was an unknown, you know, a likable old man um, that everybody looked at as harmless. I don't think they're going to look at him that way no. if he runs again. And when you compare Joe Biden to Hillary Clinton, just head to head, what the perceptions are. Um, a libertarian would never vote for for Hillary Clinton. I don't right, think, right. but they would vote for Joe Biden because just because. Well, you know, you know, prior to him, uh, yeah, well, I hate. To, well, I shouldn't say that word anyway. Prior to him doing, <laughs> prior to him to doing whatever he the Democrat left wing the party would say. You know, Joe Biden was kind of a centrist Democrat for fifty years. Yeah. So you could kind of see libertarians might swing into Joe Biden. Yeah. But um, so, so but I, I think I think as Joe has become mindless, he's become much more easily manipulated. To oh do yeah. Whatever the the puppet masters want him to do. The direction that the Democrat Party has taken since two thousand sixteen, there ain't no way a libertarian would vote for right. a Democrat. I don't think. No. I mean, because it's just anti-libertarian. We will see. Hey, let's go ahead and take another time out because I want to have a good hunk of time. I want to take you, when we get back from this uh, break, um, there was an interview last night on Fox News with Brett Baer and uh, the FBI Director Christopher Wray. Uh, it, it, when I saw this, my jaw dropped. I could not believe the things that Christopher Wray was trying to push upon the American people as being fact. Uh, we'll have some audio clips of that when we get back. There's a lot going on. Too much of what's happening in our country today is not 
normal. So it's important to stay informed and up to date. Get ready, guys. Get ready, because here we go. Now, now more than ever. It's a disgrace what's happening to our country. At the top, 30 minutes past and when it breaks. Yeah, I try my best to keep up with everything. So I am freaking out. Just try not to freak out. That's a really tough task for me. Now, back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. So last night, Brett Baer on Special Report had a, a pretty lengthy interview with the FBI Director Christopher Ray, And I will say that I thought Brett Baer hit it out of the park. Uh, there's some times where people give Brett Baer a hard time. And as Benny and I were talking during the break, I, I think those, you know, hard. Listen, I'm a hard-nosed conservative, but those people that look at Brett Baer and say, "Well, you know, he's he's not biased enough," he's he's doing the news. I mean, he, he truly is doing the news. We are not. We we are an opinion show. I mean, we talk about the news, but we spend a lot of time talking about our opinions, and we do not claim to be a a news program per se. Ten percent news, ninety percent yeah, opinion. But. Uh, <laughs> But last night, Brett Baer asked questions and followed up with harder questions. And uh, I will say that as I was listening to this interview last night, my jaw dropped by the bizarre things that I heard Christopher Ray saying. Now, I, the guy's a good front man. I mean, he can keep his cool, keep his calm. And, uh, I mean, I think he could... He, he could tell uh, uh, sell ice to Eskimos. I really do think so. Um, Talk a dog off a meat wagon. Yeah, uh, he he really could. <laughs> so at the beginning of the uh, uh, interview between Brett Bear and Christopher Ray, he talked about the dual system of justice. Cut one. Conservatives call the FBI's disinformation campaign about Hunter Biden's laptop, uh, or what they see as a dual system of justice. You know, I hear these claims of politicization, but I can tell you that the FBI is and it's going to stay independent. And that means following the facts wherever they lead, no matter who likes it. And I add that last part because what I have found in today's world is that far too many people use as their standard for whether they think something was fair or objective, whether it's an FBI investigation, whether it's a Supreme Court decision, or even an election, is whether they like the result, whether their side won or lost. But that's, that's not how independence and objectivity work. We are not on either side. The FBI is on the American people's side, on the Constitution side. Well, let's start with the laptop. The FBI has had access to this laptop for more than three years. Why is this investigation on the Hunter Biden laptops taking so long? The whistleblowers are telling these lawmakers that there was an internal effort to shut down the investigation from the beginning. Have you found that? I have not found anything like that. Uh... You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I re remember the preamble to the laptop was Peter Strzok. Yeah. Talking mm -hmm. about how, hey, don't worry, we've got an insurance policy mm -hmm. to his uh, lover, Lisa, whatever her name was. Uh, th this is this is unbelievable that y you would look at this. Uh, no, I've seen nothing wrong. Last August, New York Post reported Timothy Thibault a top FBI assistant special agent in charge of the Hunter Biden laptop investigation was forced out of his post in the Washington field office as he came under congressional scrutiny for political bias in the handling of the first son's laptop. Mm -hmm. And you're going to come out and you're going to say, no, I didn't see anything. You've you got to be kidding me. Yeah, not to mention uh, you know, how aggressive the FBI was on so many 
on so many things towards conservatives against towards Donald Trump. And oh, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy, don't, don't, don't you worry. We'll get to that. They then went on to talk about the FBI banning social media accounts. FBI Director Chris Ray claimed in the interview that the Bureau is not in the business of policing the truth on social media platforms, which stands in contrast to a revelation in the Twitter, fi- the Twitter files. Uh, here's how um, he handled that question from Brett Baer. Cut to. Let's talk about the FBI and what you told Big Tech about the authenticity and providence of Hunter Biden's laptop. The FBI does not, is not in the business of functioning as the truth police. Understood. So we don't tell social media companies to censor anything. Well, or the Twitter file suggests something different. I mean, there was an FBI request numerous times, FBI San Francisco request to ban certain accounts. You're saying it doesn't happen, but there's evidence that it had. We don't tell social media companies to ban accounts. But you suggest. Well, what we do is tell social media companies about information that we have about foreign disinformation campaigns by foreign actors, by foreign intelligence services. And those companies then make decisions about what, if anything, they want to do about it. This is as close to Bill Clinton saying it depends on what the definition of is is. Yeah, how about how about do you do it with domestic or politically motivated misinformation campaigns? I mean, he said no foreign. I mean, yeah, gosh. yeah. I mean, he just he was walking a tightrope. Remember uh, last fall, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook went on the Joe Rogan Experience and expressed news of the laptop and its contents in the weeks preceding the 2020 presidential election after FBI agents requested to meet with Zuckerberg's staff to deliver dire warnings of supposed dump of election information, Russian election information. Zuckerberg said he can't recall whether the FBI agents specifically mentioned the Hunter Biden laptop story in their warning. He said the story fit the pattern that concerned the FBI. Listen, when you're the FBI... And you come in and sit down face-to-face with the executives of a corporation like this, and you tell them that this is Russian misinformation, that we are very concerned that this fits the pattern, and then that organization were to ignore the warning. I don't think they're going to ignore the warning. No. Now, I think they were willing, they were gleefully willing to fulfill what the FBI was was. According to according to Christopher Ray, you know that way they weren't suggesting anything. They were just handing along information. That is the biggest bunch of BS I've ever heard. I mean, there's no way that Facebook, even if they were staunch conservatives, I don't know that they would. You know, unless they were the kind that would say, "I'm willing to go to jail for my principles." I don't know that they would have uh, turned their back on the FBI. Well, I think all this now is a prime example when people, uh, and and I was one of those people back when, you know, just after 9-11 when we started changing a lot of legal procedures of how we could go after citizens because of the fear of terrorism. Right. You know, some of us said, hey, this isn't right because at some point this is going to be used against American people for political reasons. And this Ron is, Paul was big and said that over and yeah, over again. And that's exactly what is happening here in the last few years with uh, you know, anything anti-Donald Trump, anything against the Republican establishment. Uh, it truly is a status of a deep state of where the FBI has more power than what it should have. Speaking of Donald Trump, then the conversation turned to the two-tier system of justice as it applied to the classified documents 
one uh, approach at Mar-a-Lago, a whole different approach up in Wilmington, Delaware. Cut three. The documents investigation for former President Trump and the raid that happens in Mar-a-Lago, as opposed to the documents investigation for President Biden and how that went down. You find out about those documents before the November election. Uh, the FBI then does the search of the House after that, but does not say anything prior to the midterm election. We have a long history of handling investigations into the mishandling of classified information. And our standard for approaching those investigations is the same, no matter who it is. Our basic approach is the same. Now that approach means that we typically start with the least intrusive means to try to retrieve the improperly stored classified information. But if those less intrusive means don't work, and certainly if they're frustrated in some way, then we adapt and turn to other legal tools that we've been entrusted with. Are you at the table for that decision of how it looks to go after a former president like the way that it happened in Mar-a-Lago? Well, I oversee the FBI. I expect any significant investigation to be conducted by the book. Uh, and I do that with adherence to our rules, our policies, our practices. Why didn't we know anything about the FBI looking into President Biden prior to the election? Well, again, I can't talk about specific investigations okay. that are ongoing, both of which are being led by special counsel. Listen, the idea that they handled both Mar-a-Lago and Wilmington, Delaware, in the same manner is so stark, so unbelievable, I'm surprised the guy's nose didn't start growing right on camera. He's good. This is unbelievable. Now, I mean, remember, first of all, remember that they had... Um, folks from the FBI and the Secret Service down at Mar-a-Lago looking at the safe, saying everything looked great, everything was fine, just make sure you got another lock on the safe. And they were, they were willing. They returned some of the documents. They were willing, and they were working with them. The SWAT team comes in. They, they send the Trump attorneys away. No, you're not allowed to watch what's going on. Uh, in the in the Biden situation up in Wilmington, totally opposite. In fact, the Biden attorneys were handling it. They were they were going through all the documents and basically saying, "Oh, we'll report back to the FBI what we find." What we find, PJ Media just last month wrote, "The FBI the FBI was not merely unequal in raiding the Trump home while allowing Biden lawyers to inspect various Biden statues." The FBI also leaked the purported contents of the subjects of the Trump classified documents, falsely spreading the lie of nuclear codes and nuclear secrets in a way that it has not done in the Biden cachet. The FBI went so far to scatter the documents on the floor for a fake news photo op as if the papers were also messily arrayed when they arrive. With the FBI, uh, with Biden, came it came late, it came lightly to the Biden case without the SWAT team, Frankly, uh, the only reason they did anything with Joe Biden was because of pressure from the Republicans and the conservatives. Yeah, and I, you wonder what wonder what Christopher Ray would say about you know, think about the the FBI director and Attorney General. I mean, they they pretty much control the Justice Department. But not to mention, if, look at all the anyone with connection to Donald Trump, whether it be Roger Stone, uh, yep. Paul Manafort, uh, Peter Navarro, yep. where all of a sudden when, when they get investigated or arrested, 
they they go to their houses in the in the middle, middle of, of the, the night, night like it's the daggone drug raid of a drug cartel and and guess what all the CNN reporters are there to cover it. told them ahead of time I, I mean Christopher Ray I, I hate to say it uh, you're not a dumb man you're a liar I, yeah. I, I can yeah. say that he's a liar he knows better the conversation then turned to Mark Halk. You might remember he was the pro-life uh, uh, um, counselor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it was up in Philadelphia. Yeah, Pennsylvania area, I remember. And uh, there was a, um, a a pro-abortion abortion clinic escort that came in and started harassing his son. Actually, this escort put his hands on Mark Houck's son. Uh, what happened later was a SWAT team showed up as, at his house with guns drawn. This guy's never been arrested. This guy's record was clean as a whistle. Here's how uh, that question and answer went down. Cut for Mark Houck, Pennsylvania pro-life activist, arrested at his home in front of his family for an alleged violation of the Freedom of Access of Clinics Act, alleged incident which he was protesting in front of an abortion clinic. He was recently acquitted of all charges at trial. The show of force for that arrest, was that by the book? Those decisions are made, as they should be, by the commanders on the ground in the field office who have the expertise about when to conduct operations safely and securely for the safety of everybody involved. And to my knowledge, those processes were all followed in this case. Yeah, I mean, historically, FBI protocol is that a defendant has, if he has no criminal history, is not believed to be violent or pose a threat to public safety, that he or she is permitted to self-surrender rather than subject dynamic execution of an arrest warrant. There's that for a pro-life activist, but not that for a Black Lives Matter protester who maybe torches a federal building over the summer. So that disparity, that dichotomy, is what sticks in people's mind. I understand that people have their opinions. All I can tell you is that we have one standard, one standard, uh, which is irrespective of ideology, of politics. In this country, it doesn't matter what you're upset about or who you're upset with. You don't get to express that upset with violence. And so we are agnostic as the ideology and focused on the violence. This is unbelievable. <laughs> by, by the way, the, the escort could have just as easily been arrested for putting his hands on Mark Houck's son. But, I mean, how many have there been? I don't think there's been any arrest yet for the number of people who have gone in and firebombed some of these pro-life centers and some of these churches. I, if there has been, I'm not aware of it. It certainly hadn't made much of, uh, of a news splash. But uh, the the idea that they handled everything the same, I mean, after coming off the, the riots of 2020, and, uh, again, you know, it is so political, it's so obvious that it's political, and yet he says, oh, we handle everything the same. Well, you know, the, the question was <clears throat> was phrased in a way that Christopher Ray did not answer. He basically said what the policy was. Right. Well, he didn't ask you what the policy good, good was. Point. This is what happened. Now, you reconcile with the policy of these two instances with what happened, did, did he act fairly in both cases? And, you know, he, he, I mean, he just squirmed a lot by stating the policy and, and then by stating well, point. the positions on the ground. It's just horse. And, 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 and to your point prior to playing that clip, I mean, how many times has the same raid, SWAT team, guns drawn, happened when they're going in after some of the Trump aides? And anybody that's got a pro-life, pro-America, pro-Christian, anti-woke, uh, mentality, they're looked at as the bad guys, and they're going to be taken out. One more clip before we go to break. 
the whole idea of treating parents as domestic terrorists. Cut five. When that letter came down from the National uh, School Boards Association, and then you receive a letter from the AG uh, referencing the classification of heinous actions could be equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism and hate crimes, talking about parents at school board meetings. Um, well, look, what I will tell you is what I told the executive management of all of our field offices across the country when I first read that memorandum, which is the FBI is not now, nor will it ever be in the business of policing speech at school board meetings or anywhere else. Now, when it comes to violence, threats of violence, we're going to do, like we always have, work with our state and local law enforcement partners to deal with violence. But we are not in the business of policing speech by parents, at school board meetings, or anywhere else. Uh, again, this is so disturbing. Uh, a letter on October the 4th from Merrick Garland. Um, basically, it, it said, uh, U.S. Attorney Merrick Garland, this is out of um, an, art, an article on WJLA, ABC News in Washington. U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland publicly directed the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office to, quote, discuss the strategies for addressing this disturbing trend, speaking of parents, at school board meetings. And you talk about violence. Remember the name of the father whose daughter was raped twice. by a teenager twice. Well, the, the guy committed rape twice. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's right. The, the father's name was Scott Smith. He was at a school board meeting, and he demanded to know what was being done related to this rape of his daughter. When he would, and, and again, he was addressing the board, perfectly legal within his rights. When they asked him to step down and back away and stop talking, uh, he refused to. I mean, this is, and I don't blame him. His daughter was raped, and he wanted some answers, and they sicked the security officers on, officers on him. Where was the FBI? You talk about violence. Any violence that happened in that, that school board meeting in Loudoun County was done by the security officers there, not by the, not by the parents. Why didn't the FBI go out and protect Scott Smith's civil rights? And exactly, and you know, Christopher Ray, he knows he said several times the FBI is not in the business of this, not in the business of that. I, a follow-up question to him would be, well, you know what? Then if, why didn't you do it? Yeah, you <laughs> clearly have been in that business. So has the FBI failed, and have you failed at the FBI policy? That's what they ought to follow up with. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You know, uh, talking about Christopher Ray, um, this guy, uh, we need to have a Nuremberg trial for uh, guys like Fauci. And uh, I, I wouldn't put Christopher Ray in the Fauci category, but uh, this guy's got to go. Yeah, what is he hiding? I mean, he's supposed to be there to protect, you know, the interests of the individuals in America, not not uh, skew people's opinions one way or the other to a political ideology. He's doing exactly what he says that the FBI doesn't and, uh, you know, you and I were talking about this the other day. He's one of those individuals that is really dangerous because he looks benign. And uh, I, I just, I, I don't believe it. I, I just, this guy is uh, bad news. The one thing he did talk about yesterday, though, is he pretty much hit, hit it out of the park when it came to COVID-19, saying that this was from the Chinese and it was deliberate. <laughs> out of the lab. Out of the lab. Thanks thanks for waiting three years to say that. Yeah. Hey, we got to run. See you tomorrow. All right, all right, all right.